Blog Talk Radio. It's stupid music. <laughs> when you guys sing or something, so I don't have to play this music. You don't want that. <laughs> Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, June 1st, 2017. Do you guys believe it? It's already summer, and it's already June 1st? Wow. This is Michael Norris, along with Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons, our uh, other compadre. Jay West uh, is most likely not going to be with us tonight. He said he may try and call in, but I really don't look for that to happen. He had uh, another round of back surgery this uh, this week, and I uh, talked to him yesterday, and uh, he was uh, he was doing okay, but he just wasn't sure, you know. You know the, what what today was going to be like, so I told him just uh, you know just just don't worry about us; it will be fine. But uh, so you guys out there uh, that, that listen to us on a regular basis, uh, keep our friend and 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 partner Jay West in your your thoughts and prayers because uh, I tell you, messing around with with back your back is not something that uh, not something that you want to fool with, and I and it just you know. We're getting old, fellas. Yeah, that's for sure. It just—that's it, what amazes me. It makes me think about uh, someone like Charlie Smith, and, and and Charlie has had some some health issues here in the last year or two. But for someone his age, he's uh, remarkably healthy and uh, doing well. Of course, he's never hit a lick at a snake his whole life, so that uh, you know he's preserved his body well. He's never done any any hard work, but. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. But uh, I, I was thinking, um, I've been doing a lot of, of research this week on on some old uh, newspaper clippings and stuff, trying to uh, catch up on, on stuff from my website. Uh, and I was seeing a lot of the names, because uh, I'm, I'm, right now I'm working on the late 50s in Pensacola, and seeing a lot of the names and, and everything, that I, it makes me kind of uh, envious of you two guys, because you guys came along when when they were still some I don't want to say old timers but some veterans of the of the business still around that were still fairly active and still traveling and everything and, and in Bobby's case you know he got to you know make trips with people like Charlie Smith and Tom Ernesto and and Joe Hamilton and John Walker and and stuff like that and just just being able to hear these guys talk and and that were around for so long and and Jerry, I know you spent a lot of time with with different guys as well, but I think by the time I came along, of course, most of the guys that that I traveled with, I was just in a carload of of guys coming over here to do jobs or wherever we were going to do jobs on TV and everything. But you know, the, there wasn't a whole lot of wisdom being passed along. The the main focus uh, with the guys that I tended to travel with was uh, you know chasing a rat behind the building and. Uh, you know where where can we stop and get something to drink 
and it makes me a little envious that I didn't come along ten years earlier like you guys did that that were able to spend time with with a lot of guys. Um, so I'll throw this this question out to you guys, and I'll start with you, Jerry. Who? What were some of the guys that you got to travel with, or got to share a dressing room with, or got to have a conversation with that that you know were were veterans that that made an impact on you? Are you asking me that, oh, Bobby? Yeah. No, I'm asking. Starting with you, yeah. Well, uh, uh, was one of them that you know I'd seen in the magazines. Ever, uh, John Tolis was another one because he, you know, all that stuff from you know L.A. and all. Uh, who else? Um, there's a ton of them. Ton of them. Uh, was there anybody in particular that you traveled, made, got to make a couple of trips with that you really were just picked up little things from? Just, just. About the business and about life in general, basically, because I mean, you were uh, you were a young man when you were starting out. I'm just trying to. Uh, well, some of them, you know, were you know only like 15 years older than I was when I started. That you know that I'd seen before I got in the business. You know, you know because they were young themselves, but. Uh, I'm just trying to think uh, different places I've been. Um, I'm just thinking of somebody uh, like Carl Cox that you you were oh, around yeah, quite a yeah, bit, who yeah. oh, you know yeah, who started out you know traveled, under his yeah. real name of Herb Gerwig in, in the uh, in the Ohio Valley area and everything, and just you know yeah, and then the, he it was, just he amazes was, me. You know he he did uh, he he was a great guy to be around. You know he. He knew the business. I mean, you know, he he would do his weird stuff. But, but as far as a piece of talent, I mean, the, the Carl was underrated, I thought. I mean, he was, you know, because he did like Murdoch would do. You know, he'd get off the wall there for you. But, but Carl, he, he was, he knew what it was about, hard worker. And he, he was very interesting to be around all the, you know, the guys he had worked with and the places he had been and, he, he was a fun guy to be around. And uh, Murdoch was another one that I thought of uh, as far as with you because you know Dickie was second generation. His his dad and his or stepdad and his uncle both were in the business, so he grew up in the business. So I'm sure he, yeah, he knew a lot, uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah, I, I think Dickie started pretty young too. I think he was real young when he started. Yeah, I'm I, sure he was. He like he was only like a couple of years older than I was, but God, he'd been around. You know, he'd been around the business his whole life. And another guy that was interesting uh, was, uh, of course, you knew Johnny Eagle. He was he was a very interesting guy from all this stuff he'd done in Europe and you know I, I, all the places that he went. You know, back in the day, you could go anywhere. Yeah. And, God, he'd been everywhere, you know, talk about different guys he'd worked with in different places. And of course, I mean, he named names that I'd never heard of, you know, especially, you know, from Europe. And, but he, he worked all of Europe. I mean, he went everywhere. And those, those guys were interested in travel with, you know, here, there, you know, instead of just 
guys that worked here in the states mainly, and, or just stayed in a couple of territories. I mean, they they were interesting guys to be around. Got, uh, Another one, I would think Al Hayes would be James. very similar. Oh, he was. I don't know if he was ever around him, but, but he was. He he was he, he was a character. He 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 was very interesting. You know he he. He had stories from over there too. You know, you wasn't hearing stories from, you know, Florida or Georgia or the Carolinas. You're hearing stories from everywhere. You know, and that that was. Did he did he talk much about his gimmick in in uh, in England? Because he was he was called Judo Al Hayes over there, and I guess he did some sort of martial arts type gimmick. Yeah, you know, he he really never did. You know, uh, I knew he was called that. I don't know. Where that come from, you know. I think Al was pretty tough in the day, but uh, I, I never—he never really talked about that. You know, they, they call wearing a like a ring jacket. Uh, they call them dressing gowns. Yeah, that was funny. At first, I said a dressing gown. What are you talking about? Ring jacket. Everything was. <laughs> But those, those, those guys were just, you know, you know, being being from Columbus, Georgia, and all of a sudden you're around these guys, that, you know, from Europe, and listening to their accents and their stories, and my God, these are fascinating guys, and they were. They really Did you, were. You were know, you ever around? Because I think he may have been in Florida when you first started down there. Was was Hans Mortier still around? Uh. He wasn't working there when I was there. When I first remember seeing him out of Florida, he wrestled with Zorro. You remember that? Yeah, he was Tarzan Zorro, yeah. And, uh, of course, he wore the black tights and the trunks and, and the black mask. But, but no, I never, uh, no, not that I know of. I never met him. I was going to meet him, but I never Because I know him. he was he was very close with uh Malenko and Don Curtis. He was he was very close to them. Um, in fact, he stayed in I mean, touch did, with, did with like Don Curtis right up until I mean, Don passed he, away. Did, did he live there for a long time? He, yeah, but he had left and gone back to Holland, which is where he was from. And he would he would come over. He'd make a trip once a year. And come spend time with uh, Don and Dottie Curtis, and and with uh, when Malenko was still alive, visit and stay with him. But uh, you know he worked he worked under so many different names. He was uh, uh, Dutch Hallett was a name he used. Um, the great Charles um, Charles Montague. He just and besides the the, the Zorro gimmick. He was a, he wore a mask as as the mask Zorro, but then he was also Tarzan Zorro without the mask. But uh, everybody that I've ever heard talk about him was talking about what what a great as far as his build and everything. So such um, you know naturally muscular guy and, and what shape he kept himself in. And you can see by the pictures of him because he was no no young man when he was you know doing the Hans Mortier. Um, thing, right? I mean, he had those, that little waist, those big lats, you know, broad yep. shoulders. Yeah, he, he was an impressive looking guy. But I, I never met him. I, I, 
I never did. Never, never met him. Of course, you got to spend time with the illustrious, or you at least meet the illustrious Frank Hickey. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I did. I met uh, Don Leo Jonathan. You know, I met him in uh, Seattle. Talked to him a lot. Yeah, he come to the matches, and you know, get, he wasn't working anymore, of course, but he was an interesting man. He he was, uh, uh, you know, I remember seeing stuff on him forever. But there, there was there was a lot of lot of lot of guys, you know, that I feel like Bobby, you know, you saw in the magazines growing up, and all of a sudden you're sitting in the dressing room with him. Every day. And I'm thinking about guys like that were around forever, like Jack Bentz and Jack Vansky and uh, uh, Eduardo Perez and guys like that that were, you know, were no longer big stars, but they were still around and still in the business. Um, another one, Kenny Ackles was another one that, you know, names that you see all over. I mean, just worked everywhere. And... uh that was another thing that, that you know, by the time I got into the, the business, it was starting to, to close ranks and, you know, territories were closing down and everything. And uh, it's just amazing what what the business was like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, where you could you could go anywhere you wanted to. Yeah, you know, I mean, As long as you had a phone number. And, you know, like the 50s, you know, Ohio, uh, it was, you know, Indianapolis was the territory, I guess, the whole thing. I, you know, it, it was just, you know, you could go to Arizona. You could go, I mean, it was just, just anywhere you wanted to go. Yeah. And that had to have been really interesting, you know, just all the places. But this, uh, you know, I, I, I got in at the tail end, you know, still got to see you know, a, a, a lot of guys, and there were still quite a few territories still left. But, and then there was some that was, you know, like Ohio, you know, other than just running like out of here, Columbus or wherever up there, you know, all that stuff was gone. That had to have been one heck of a territory one time, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when Al Haft had it, yeah. I mean, you just think about all the guys that, that either got their start there or, or, you know, worked quite a bit in that territory between Roy Shire, Ray Stevens, Don Fargo, um, uh, Buddy Rogers, you know. You know, all those guys that Les Thatcher got to, got to watch growing up in, growing up in Columbus. Oh, exactly, and, uh, exactly. Can you imagine what he saw? What yeah. What he saw? I mean, I mean, uh, and then, then, then you had you, you guys running around like uh, I always wanted to meet this guy. Uh, uh, what was his name? He, he, but he promoted a, a lot of shows using guys' name like you know he had like Pfeffer. a rumor from Pfeff, Jack Pfeffer. Pfeffer. I always yeah. wanted to meet Pfeffer. I don't, I don't know how where did you see pictures of that guy? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Weirdest looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he wasn't the most from from the stories I've heard told me because Fargo used to talk about him all the time because you know he kept uh, 
probably up until Pfeffer died, Jackie Fargo sent him money. You know, because he won the when the Fargos he's the one that got put the Fargos together and uh you know, gave them their names and all that stuff and he was he was their personal manager. And uh but Jackie Fargo up until Pfeffer died would still send him money, you know. Part of his part of his payoff. Just you, out of respect you know, for him. You you know so much about this business. I mean I mean in a good way. Did you ever hear how he got in the business? Yeah, he came over. He was he was from uh, Russia originally, and he came over to the United States with the Russian ballet. And he basically defected while he was in New York. He asked for asylum, got asylum. Now, how he actually got involved with wrestling, I don't. I know he got in with Toots Monts. Or Toots Mont and and uh, Jack Curley and that bunch up in the Northeast, uh, Ray Fabiano out of and Philadelphia and all that. But anyway, he at one time Pfeffer, he was New York was his. I mean, you couldn't do anything without going through Pfeffer. And then he kind of he got uh, kind of pushed out of New York by uh, McMahon Senior and Toots Mont and. Uh, and so he just kind of just where it went wherever he could go to help, you know, other promoters would bring him in. Like he he worked quite a bit with Tony Santos in, in Boston and everything, but, but his main thing was gimmicks. And that's what what Fargo told me. He was a gimmick man. I mean, it, it's it's all he talked about was gimmick, 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 gimmick. And I mean you think of all the the gimmicks that he came up with, the 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 French angel and the Swedish angel and the lady angel and every kind of, of freakish person you could think of, Iron Talon, which was probably the first uh, legitimate uh, seven-foot wrestler, um, was a guy that, that he brought over from Europe. But he, he brought a lot of guys over from Europe. But, uh, but he's, you know, he's, he's the one that changed... Uh, Buddy Rogers' name from Dutch Roadie to to, to uh, Buddy Rogers, yeah, and then they a had a falling out. What's he that? A lot of guys, and I heard he says a yeah, lot but of then guys once he kind of got pushed out and became kind of an outlaw, uh, he spilled the beans um, to a uh, sports writer. Uh, basically, you know, broke kayfabe and and was was giving away uh, the results before matches actually happened for uh, one promotion. And then, you know, he was kind of uh, he was kind of ostracized, but people were still still terrified of him because of the the power that he he wielded within the the business because he was close friends with a. A lot of him, he and uh, Strangler Lewis were very close um, for some reason. But, but you know, but when he was with Santos, that's when he started the, the sound likes uh, that he was he's so well known for now. Right. You know, he would have a uh, – he, he had several of them, but, but one of the guys that he gave the name Hobo Brazil to was uh, was Kerry uh, Lloyd, who later became known as Rufus R. Jones. Um, but he, you know, he would have a Hobo Brazil and a Luke Kez and a Bruno San Martino and, you know, which was, was somebody that, Jerry, I know you passed 
along the way, uh, Isaac Rosario, who worked as uh, Pancho Valdez or Pedro Valdez, or, you know, he had a different bunch of different names, but uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of who some of the uh, Bummy Rogers. That was that was a name that he gave to uh, Ronnie Garvin when Ronnie Garvin was working for Santos. They called him Bummy Rogers. Uh, Harley Race was the great Kilroy. <laughs> I mean, he just you know. But he worked with Santos, and he worked with uh, Fred Kohler in, in uh, Chicago after Fred Kohler fell out with uh, McMahon. But, uh, you know, he came through uh, and worked a couple of weeks. Uh, he didn't really work with the Lee Fields, but he was in that territory. He was traveling with a, uh, with a 300-pound lady wrestler called the Lady Blimp. And he was her person, his her personal manager, and he traveled with them, with her, uh, whenever she, you know, spent a week or two in the uh, Mobile territory. And Pfeffer was there, and Kelly got to meet him, and he was telling me about him. I mean, just the stories I've heard about him, as far as his hygiene, and he had he had a, you know, you could tell what he had eaten for a month by looking at his shirt and his tie because it was the stains on it, and uh, you know. Rarely bathed on a regular basis. Rarely, rarely washed his hair. Had never brushed his teeth. But it was just, it was just a brilliant guy from from the business standpoint, as far as you know, gimmicks and making money. But uh, he's a fascinating guy. That's somebody that uh, I tell Tom Burke every time I every chance I get, he needs to write a book about him because Tom's very familiar with him, having grown up, you know around the Santos promotion and everything, but that's that's somebody that really needs a, a book written about him is Jack Pfeffer because of all the, the stuff he did. I mean, he was around for uh, 40 years in and out of the yeah, business. Yeah, that, 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 I would like to at least just met him, say I met him, because all the stories I've heard about him Well, Bobby, you got to travel with with the the, the brain himself, Tom Renesto. Did I know he talked to you about a lot of different things? But he, did he talk about his earlier days? You know, it was funny starting Tom, in the business. Tom didn't talk a lot about the business with me when we traveled. Normally, he was he would ride when I was with Jody. He would ride with Jody, and I just happened to be in the car, and they would talk some. But it was never, you know, nothing. Uh, the greatest conversation me and Tom Ernesto ever had, as far as I'm concerned, happened uh, in Biloxi, Mississippi, sitting in a casino. Uh, the one time that he came to Mobile to the reunion, uh, we uh, a bunch of us went over to eat in Biloxi, and we after we had eaten, we went in the Grand Casino, and Kathy and the boys were going to go play slot machines or whatever and Tom didn't care anything about it and me and Tom sat there in a on a couple of chairs overlooking the casino and we talked we probably talked for two hours and it was the it was the only time in my dealings with Tom that he didn't treat me like a kid you know when I first went to work I was so young and he was trying to teach me so much and you know some of it I was listening to and some of it I wasn't paying much attention to like all kids but that night for two hours we talked like two men 
talking about the business, and he just, you know, he just he just kind of opened up, and he was sharing things about things he wished he could have done, and things that 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 are being done now that you should never do, and it was just uh, uh I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it, and I'm so thankful that I had that time. Uh, uh, Jody, Jody was a uh, was a great mentor to me, whether he meant to be or not. He told me so much that he let me ride with him. He kind of took me under his wing, and he knew I wasn't making a lot of money when I first started. And he uh, he would uh, 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 we'd talk about things and about life and about things you shouldn't do and things you shouldn't do. And and uh, but I learned I learned a lot from Jody. I, I owe Jody and Tom both a great deal, but. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, you talk about these guys. You mentioned some of these names. There's guys I would love to have met and worked with, and I never did. And, and you know, <clears throat> growing up, and, and and I'm sure Jerry, he might have come across these guys. I don't know, but like like the guys that used to be on TV to do the jobs when I was growing up in Atlanta, it wasn't they were they didn't bring guys in to do jobs on TV. It was the guys you saw in the auditorium on Friday night that was doing the jobs. Uh, you mentioned exactly. Jack Jack Vansky. I'd love to have met him. Charlie Carr. I never met him. Another guy that I've seen wrestle a million times and just never got to meet was Red Roberts. Uh, Rowdy Red, yeah. Do what, Jerry? I remember that name. Yeah, I remember you remember that name? Rowdy Red Roberts. I, uh, I remember. You know, just those. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys that, that I I would love to have met them. And I was I was blessed that when I broke into the business, the crew that was working for Ann Gunkel was the was the was the crew that had been in the NWA office. Basically, it was the cream of the crop or part of it. And so every night going in the dressing room, just sitting there listening, you know, it was just amazing. And I don't know if Jerry ever felt this way. He's talking about you know all of a sudden you're in the dressing room with these guys. I would sit in there sometimes and I'd go, Am I really here? And I'd say, do I really belong here? <laughs> you know, it was it was. And then know, later on in your career, you it was like me. What am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the 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 truest thing that any, you know, like Bobby said, a lot of you know when you was traveling, you didn't talk. It was funny, you know. You might talk about some matches or this work or that, but not so much about the business. But you know, just tales and stuff, but Al Hayes told me something uh, that I never forgot. He said, the longer you're in it, the less you'll know about it. <laughs> I never forgot that. Isn't that the truth? It, 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 it was the truth. It was the truth. Scott Teal. You're talking about Rowdy Red Roberts. He was, uh, he was from Little Rock, Arkansas, and he was actually a mortician. And he was still around... The business some when when I broke in, I don't think he was actually working or anything, but he was he was still involved because he was up there with uh Tarzan White up in uh you know, North Alabama, some of those places like Gaston and Boaz and stuff, some of those places I worked, Red Roberts were still around then. Of course I had no clue as to who he was because I didn't learn about Red Roberts until I started researching the Mobile Territory and going back, and he was a big name down there for many, many, many years. And another one, Bobby just mentioned, Charlie Carr was another one. Um, 
Charlie Carr, Charlie Lay, who ended up working in the office in Tampa. Uh, Charlie Keene was another one that was a big name in and around there. Because if you go back and look at a small territory like Mobile Territory before the Welches bought into it, and it was just kind of a, a layover between New Orleans and Birmingham uh, when Joe Gunther promoted both those towns, you know, you only had five or six guys that worked that territory. And they were basically, they worked there to make money, gas money, on their way from one town to the other. Um, and then even after it got built up, you know, and after the Welches bought the territory and, and Buddy Fuller started running it and then sold to Lee, that territory never did have a great deal of, of maintain a, a great big crew of people. I mean, it was never more than than, than maybe 16 guys total. But back in the 50s, it was nothing to see a card with, with four guys on it and have three matches, you know, or four matches. Bobby, um, this is a name you'll remember, a, a guy in Atlanta. He, of course, he wrestled in Columbus all the time when I was growing up. I, as I got older, I wish I'd have met him. That was Lenny Montana. Yes. Yeah, I remember the name. I, I never uh, I never met him, but, Yeah. And Charlie, 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 and Louise Smith were great friends with him. I always wanted to meet him after you know, but you know, I, of course, I never did. But yeah. that was another name that was. Uh, he just seemed like you guys remember guy. Tom Bradley. Yes. Did that name ring a bell? Yes. 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 That was another one that was around forever. I mean, he first came to Mobile in 1952 and came back there in 1972. <laughs> Lenny, Lenny Montana, his claim to fame is in the original Godfather movie. Yep, right. He he's the one that got his hand stabbed to the bar. There, there was a there was a guy here in Georgia, and I, I know you met him, Bobby. He was the nicest guy, but he was the biggest pest in the world in the dressing room. And that was Timothy Gohagen. Yes, nice guy. I actually got a chance to wrestle him one night. Somebody didn't show up, and I, and uh, I happened to be there, and I wrestled him. And it took it took me about two seconds of locking up with him to realize he could do with me anything he wanted to do, and there wasn't nothing I could do about it. Yeah, he yeah he he, he put me to sleep one night in the dressing room in America's Georgia. <laughs> I always wanted I, I wanted to see what it was like. I never had uh-huh. to do that to him. I'll tell you another Dr. Cohagen. Another one that was a pest in the dressing room. The noisiest guy in the dressing room was Salento Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. I'm telling you. He was crazy in the dressing room. <laughs> and I always heard that he was the noisiest deaf mute anybody would ever been around. He was. I'm telling you, he run you crazy. He was a nice guy, though. I respected him, you know, but. You know, Charlie Smith tells a story a about he drove from Pensacola to Augusta, Georgia one day, which was a pretty good trip back in the day. It wasn't, you know, without interstates. And he said they got to Augusta and he was in the opening match. And Charlie said he went to sleep in the ring. <laughs> he had to wake him up. <laughs> well, Bobby, you guys, you, I know we're at least around him. I don't know if you, you, any conversation with him, but another one that's always fascinated me was was Jesse James. 
That was another one that wrestled forever. Yeah, he did. But, but, same same thing though. He he would Jesse was not a big talker in the dressing room, and he and he and he he was uh, he was very smart, <laughs> and he talked about a lot of things, but wrestling generally wasn't one of them. But yeah, he was a super nice guy. Do you know his unless background, you, don't you? Unless you pulled a rib on him and it, he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> you know, he was from the Harrisburg section of Houston. And he and his brother Johnny James and uh, uh, Dizzy Davis and Gorgeous George all grew up there as kids together. They ran around together and they were called the Harrisburg Rats. And they all got in the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, I don't know how long. Dizzy, Dizzy Davis, he didn't have a real long career, I think, by the time. You know, they all broke in the business in the late 40s, and, and Dizzy Davis was out of it by the early 60s. And, of course, Gorgeous George died in 63. Johnny James wasn't around a long time. Terribly long time, but Jesse was around forever and stayed in great shape. Hmm. I can't remember what the story was. Bill Bowman used to travel with him every once in a while when he was he and Joe were in the Carolinas, and um, at the time Jesse was still married to. Um, Terry Jane, or to, what was her? Terry Majors was her her name. That was his. She was a lady wrestler that he was married to. She later changed her name to Tammy Jones and wrestled under that name. But um, um, Bill was talking about he was always on time. He was very very persnickety about if you were going to ride with him or you know that you had to be on time or or he'd leave you. <laughs> he'd leave without you, but. Uh, it's just the guys like that just just fascinate me as far as you know how long they were around the business and everything. Did either one of you guys ever were you ever around Ike Eakins? So he may have died before either one of you guys. Ever, but I never around him. Yeah, I never met him either. Because I think he died in the late '60s, so it was before either one of you guys came along. Um, well, I was talking about you know pulling the rib on Jesse James. The guy that the guy that initiated that rib that night with poor Bill McMinn caught in the middle was uh, George Grant, which is another name that uh, yep. that was around forever. Yep. I had a, I had a chance to work with George. I refereed some of his matches. Well, we, that goes back to Pfeffer. You know, he was he was uh, Pfeffer's the one that gave him the gorgeous George Grant gimmick, and he was a, a knockoff of gorgeous George for for many years. Um, and then by the time he, uh, let's see, he was he used that name, and there was another one he used because um, his real name was um, um, Dan Moody or Dan Sheffield. I can't remember which which one it was. It was either Dan Moody Sheffield or Dan Sheffield Moody was his real name, and and they called him something else, Dandy Dan or something like that was another name, but it was a similar gimmick. And then of course uh, he later became a, an evangelist and and all that stuff, but. Uh, yeah, he was another one that was around forever, because you're right, Bobby. He wrestled in Mobile in the 50s as gorgeous George Grant and then came back in the 70s just with dark hair and, you know, just a regular, you know, regular heel. 
Well, he was he was a baby face when he was here when I met him, but he was he was like I say he was uh, he was up in years, wore crew cut, and uh, and then I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. Uh, he came to Mobile a few times, and uh, I had a chance to talk to him. And if I'm not yeah, mistaken, he, uh, um, I think he he actually promoted. Well, I think he promoted. Was at one time the promoter in Kingsport, where uh, where Bo uh, James is from. I'm not sure. You know, all those names have been just you know, people don't even wouldn't even know who they are now. You know. No, they wouldn't know. You know, another one, Frank Martinez. Were you guys ever around Frank Martinez? I wasn't. I don't think I was. I don't what a nice guy he was. Um, Skull von Stroheim. Carl von Stroheim was another one. Um, Wally Nuremberg. I'm just trying to think of all these guys that just, you know, worked all over the place. Well, no, uh, we've talked about him before, but Bunk Harris. Yeah, George you know, Harris is another one. There's another right. one. Uh, uh, I never never had a chance to be in the ring with him. Uh, but you talk about a guy that could tell some stories. Now, I, he would he would come in our room down in Mobile and sit and talk with us. And just, I mean, he was just a, he was, a, he'd been around forever coming out of that Dyersburg area where all those guys came from. And uh, just story after story after story. He was a funny guy. I was around yes, him he in was. Charlotte. He was he was funny. He worked for the office up there when I was there. Another guy that worked for the office up there that that I had a chance to be around a little bit was Klondike Bill. Another guy that was. Uh, I made some trips with him. He was funny. <laughs> Charlie Smith so made one trip with him. Charlie said he rode with him from Albany one night in December. And said, Bill, run the air conditioner the whole trip home. He said, when he got home, he was blue. (laughs) He had to live that gimmick, man. He was Canadian, wasn't he? Yes, I think he was. I think he was, yeah. He was billed as from Alaska, but he was, I think he was. I don't know if he came out of Hamilton or where he was from, but he was Canadian. He was funny. I refereed one night. And, well, I've told, I guess I've told this. I refereed one night in Greenville, South Carolina. And I, I the first time I went up there for Crockett, I, I refereed a match that went an hour. Main, the main event went an hour. They brought me back two weeks later, and it went 90 minutes. And when it went 90 minutes, <clears throat> I got disoriented and didn't know which side of the ring to get out of uh, to go toward the dressing room because I wasn't familiar with the building. And I turned around, and all the guys were gone, and I was in the ring by myself. And the people were so mad that the match had ended in a draw, they started shaking the ring. And I was one, I was scared. I didn't know what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And I looked, and, and uh, the crowd was parting, and here come Bill. He looked like Moses in the middle of the Red Sea to me. And I, he said, come on, kid. And I went, yes, sir. And he walked me right out of there. Which is just, and, and not only wrestlers, but do you think about a lot of the, the promoters that were so well known? Was Big Jim Crockett still alive when you worked up there, Jerry, or was he gone already? 
Yeah, he was grown, yeah. I, I met him uh, in 63 or 4. He came, he walked uh, at the TV station. That's the first time I ever saw Buddy Rogers. When, when would that have been when Rogers was a champion? 60. He was champion from 60 to 63. It must have been 63 then. Could have been 62, I'm not sure. Any, probably 63. Anyhow, uh, was at Charlotte TV when uh, Dickie was up there, when he went up there, spent a couple of weeks up in Charlotte with him and my sister. We went to Charlotte TV, and uh, Buddy Rogers, Russell Bunk Harris. I'll never forget it. I've never seen Rogers. seen him in the magazine. I mean, I was a kid, you know. I mean, my God. And, uh, that's when I met him, and so after we was in the parking lot, and uh, Jim Crockett Sr. walked up to my brother and myself, and he said, you boys must be from Georgia. I said, yes, sir. I said, how'd you know that? He said, I can tell by the shoes you're wearing. But Dick just told him who we were, you know. I'm thinking, I think I know we're from Georgia. <laughs> and I, that's the only time I ever met him. I would imagine that was a thrill to meet Rogers. Yeah, I never met him. He, he, we were getting in the car, and he was getting in the car with some chick. And him and Dickie were talking, not, not face to face. They were just talking, like, not where anybody would know they were talking. They were talking funny. What the hell? I mean, what they were—they were talking corny, and I, I didn't know yeah. how they were. I couldn't understand what they were saying to one another. I told you about the, the story about uh, Dickie S. Rogers when that, the, this one, when they were later later on. He told me the story. He said, "You remember when y'all were up there?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I used to ask Buddy." I said, "Man, he said, when, when do you get to the gym, man? You know, because he always looked great." He said, "He told him. He said, Daddy, I ain't touched a weight in years." So Dickie went to the Y one morning and. uh, Signed in. The guy said, "Yeah, you just miss that other wrestler. He's here every morning when we open." He said, "Who's that?" He said, "Big blonde headed guy." He <laughs> says, uh, "It's not Buddy Rogers, is it?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "He's here every morning when we open." He didn't want anybody to think he worked out, you know. So he just looked <laughs> like that. <laughs> Always working, I guess. He was definitely impressive. Yeah, he he he, he, he looked the part, man. I couldn't believe it when I saw him. Good God. And how he had a tan like he did, uh, you know, like, there were no sunbeds back then. I don't know where he got all that sun from. He was, man, he was tan, looked good. I mean, you know, he he was he was something else. Of course, a lot of guys couldn't stand him, I guess. But Have you ever seen pictures of Roger Kirby when Roger first broke into business? Yes. He looked just like oh, Buddy Rogers. I worked with uh, Kirby when he when he looked good. I mean, he looked he looked great. Roger was a good worker. I always liked him. Yeah, he was. Learned a lot working with him. Seeing less. Uh, go ahead. No, I, just talking about different guys. You know that, that you'd seen forever. The most, in, 
I worked with him one night somewhere when I was in Mobile. I worked with uh, Greg Peterson. I've told you, I couldn't believe it. what a worker he was. He was oh, yeah. unbelievable. I you never know what to look at him. You, I, that Joker, that he was as smooth as as, as silk. He was just, I couldn't believe. It. He could hurt. I got to work too, with him one was, night while I was, was down there. He was a Did shooter. You impressed with him? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, he and Billy Wicks one. grew up together in uh, in Minnesota. They both got their start in the, in the carnival. Um, I was like looking through that Pensacola stuff, Bobby. I just I was looking for you. I went to seventy seven, but you never worked Pensacola. I'm I'm surprised. I worked there, but I worked. I wasn't on the card. Okay. I worked there. I went over one night. I can't remember who I worked with over there, but I was there once or twice. I made the I was going to ask you if you ever worked over there under a hood because they had, a, you know, they had, you know, a couple of different times they had a Mister. I, I never there. worked. I never worked a hood, but it just, you know, I was on an opening match everywhere I went while I was down there. Except, well, a couple of times I was on second or third, but. You talking about Greg Peterson? Another one. Go ahead, Bobby. Well, I just got a question for Jerry, and it just popped in my head. Did you ever work with anybody that you were, I don't know if afraid of is the right right, uh, right word, but, I mean, you know, I mean, I know you had guys that you went in the ring with that, that you know, you talked about Hans Schmidt and, you know, Cholock and those guys, but did you ever work with anybody that you just stood across from them and you just, you, I don't know if, if afraid is the right word or you were just, uh, you didn't know what to expect or, or I'm not even sure what the right word would be. Uh, I, I, uh, the first time I ever worked with Jack Briscoe, I, I was nervous. Okay. Because, I mean, I never heard nothing bad about him, but I, I, I knew who he was, you know, yeah. from his amateur days. and I, I was nervous. And and I, I guess it was respect too, you know. That was, that, that was the, the first time I ever worked with Dory, I was nervous. So I, I I respected his his work. Yeah. You know, I was. Uh, yeah, Hans Smith. Yeah, I was scared to death because I just started. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen this well, match that's like, you know, I've, I've told the stories. You know, I was as afraid of Larry Hamilton as if. He had been pointing a gun at me. But the only guy I was ever in the ring with that I, I mean, I was literally afraid because I didn't know. First of all, I wasn't sure I really needed to be there. And second of all, I didn't know what was going to happen uh, was the night I had to work with John Foley. Oh, I'd have been scared to death. I was just, I really, really, really was, you know, I did not, you know, who knew? I mean, I knew that, that, that I didn't belong there with him. And, and you know, uh, you know, John looked like a little wino, but, you know, it, he treated me, I laughed more than, I, I mean, I had to keep my mouth covered because he just, I mean, it was just, it was like a night off. And he was as kind and gentle with me as as, as a newborn babe. But, buddy, I was so, so nervous and scared, and I think he knew it. I, 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 I'll, I'll back up. I'll back up, and you knew them both well, and I knew them both well too. 
Now, I'm talking about, I saw these guys wrestle when I was in high school. Well, then every Wednesday night they were there. Tom and Jody. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was, you know, I used to watch them. Man, these guys, man, I mean, I don't know of a better tag team ever than them. I mean, that's yeah. my opinion. They, they, I mean, for, I mean, they were. And, you know, you hear them talking on TV. Oh, my God. So, I had, I was, I had already broken into business in Florida, so I wasn't working full time, but I was working a couple of times a week. And so we came up here for Christmas, and Dickie got us booked in Atlanta, and we were working with the assassin. <laughs> well, you talking about a nervous wreck? <laughs> I was scared to death, man. I mean, because you you had this in your mind from the time you, you know. 16, 17, 15, whatever, and now you're in the ring with them. I, I was, I was absolutely, but they treated me with kid gloves, you know. And the thing was with those two, they're under them hood, so you can't see their expressions. I know. And they, they would mess with you. They'd talk to you. Tom, Tom, would, Tom would look at you and go, "Hey, lover, you all right? You don't look good tonight. You sick?" Yeah, he he wouldn't let up. Just, it was always something. <laughs> yeah, I can honestly tell you I was. Yeah. And then I know I was still in high school, and I was at the auditorium one night, and uh, I told Ralph, you you would have thought I asked Ralph, could I meet the emperor of Japan? I said, uh, Ralph, I said, I- I'd like to meet Matsuda. He said, I don't know about all that. You know, Matsuda's a heel, you know. Yeah. I was just, you know, I just told him something. So let me see, you know. So he finally, I always sat in the same place where they came out, you know, in those bleachers right there. And uh, he said, all right, come on. He said, you can't stay long. So I went in there and talked to him and, you know, told him, you know, I thought he was a great wrestler and all that. I'm in high school, like, you know, so. Yeah. And and so when I'm in Louisiana, I got to work with him. I worked with him in Lafayette. And that was a thrill, you know, seeing him as a kid, you know, teenager, and now I'm in the ring with him. Those things I'll always remember, you know. Those those are the things that people that never experienced it cannot understand. Our, you know, they were our heroes. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> they were our heroes, and now all of a sudden there are there are coworkers, and in a lot of cases they became our friends. And that's just, I mean, I, I, you know, until I die, I'll never get over that. <laughs> no, and, and like Tom and Jody, they, you know, they, uh, no matter when I work with them or where, or single matches or whatever, tag match, it was, it, you know, it was just a pleasure, you know. Just, yep. Yep, that's the way I was about Ken Lucas. I mean, Ken Lucas was... You know, one of my heroes growing up and everything, and then the first time I uh, I was ever um, on a card with him, um, we were doing Dothan TV, and he was doing a deal with Ron Bass where, you know, he gigged and was bleeding and everything, and, and I'm standing there just out of camera range, and Bob Armstrong taps me on the show and says, go to the ring. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I get to do a, a run-in with one of my heroes, something I'd, I'd fantasized when I was a kid, you know, 
watching Ken Lucas wrestle. Of course, my run in didn't didn't turn out so well for me, but uh, since I got I, I got pitched right out of the back out of the ring, but. But then, when the first time I got to wrestling, it was it was an absolute thrill. Um, oh yeah, it's a, you can't believe it. You know, you just it's like you know, it's, it's like a dream. Did Did you ever wrestle Hodge, Jerry? No, I was around him, but never wrestling. That, that, might that, that might be a good thing. It might be. That would have been one that would have scared me. Yeah, that. Not that I ever heard, you know, because I've never heard anything bad about Danny. But he was just—he didn't no, like no. people being lazy with him, and he'd make the, you work. The only story I ever heard relating to anything close to what you just said was Sputnik. I think I've told you all that story. He was telling a story one night that. I guess it was the junior heavyweight title or something. Yeah, when he when he won it, yeah. He beat Hodge for it. And he said he wrestled him every night for a week after that. And he finally went to Leroy and told him, he said, here, he can have this back. He said, what are you talking about? He said, Hodge wants this back worse than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Jack Donovan told me about working with him out there in Oklahoma, and he said that, that, you know that that Hodge, if 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 you laid down on him at all and didn't didn't work, like if he he took you to the mat and was holding you in a hold and you weren't, you know, you were just laying there selling it and not trying to get out of it, he'd snatch you. And uh, he said because you know he just he did not put up with with people not making it you know look like something was actually going on. And you can't blame him because that's that was no. his bread and butter. And see, Bobby, I wish you'd never asked me if I was nervous or afraid of working with anybody. Now all these things are coming back to me. <laughs> I only worked with this man one time. One time. On Atlanta TV. And I was horrified. It was, I worked with Fez. <laughs> Did you get the double wrist lock on him? Huh? Did you get the double wrist lock on him? Nope. I experienced that. They told me in the dressing room, they said, look, when he goes for that thing, you better be ready. Well, I was ready from the time the bell rang until he finally put it on. <laughs> I was nervous. Yeah. It was, you know, all, you know you'd, you'd seen him in magazines forever. You know, and I'm like, my, well, who did this and Tom did this to me? You know, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. That's when you start questioning, what did I really want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, you know, you can see you did it, but, God. Yeah, they, you, well, you rang a bell. I, uh, sitting in, stuff sitting in the, and I know I've told this one, too, sitting in the dressing room in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, Briscoe is working with Thez, and Briscoe makes the comment. He says, I think I'm going to try to put that double wrist lock on Thez tonight. And when he come back after the match, he was skint from the tip of his nose right up his nose, all the way up his forehead. And Rocket Monroe said, "What happened?" And he, said, all Jack said was, "I missed." <laughs> I'll tell you another one that I was horrified of the first time I worked with. Seen him in the magazines all my life was Tarzan Tyler. Horrified. 
He, he worked he, with a bunch. I mean, he Tyler, was just, he, he was just as mean looking in person as he was in the magazines, wasn't he? Yes, sir. And, but, and that's he, another he, one that always had a tan and that blonde hair. He, he, and, he, and he was a piece of cake in the ring. Yeah. You know, you got this in your head from, you know, seeing him when you were, I don't want to say a kid, but younger, you know. Right. You actually saw him, you know. And you were, man, I'm in the ring. What in the hell am I doing here? Well, you also work with Duke Kiyomuka. I did do that. That would have that would have been another one that would have scared me. And that was my first match. You think I wasn't? I, I, I don't even <laughs> remember walking to the ring. Hmm. But the, the guy that broke my heart was uh, that was in Statesboro, Georgia. Frank Hickey. I hooked up with him. He asked me if I was smart to the business. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a great story. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I'm sure you knew who he was, but it can I can imagine you either standing in the ring waiting on him to come in, into the ring, make his entrance, or he's already in the ring when you make yours. Looking up and seeing that helmet and that cape on <laughs> yeah, him. Uh, yeah, I really. And those long johns. <laughs> that stuff, you, you know, you, it's just, and, 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 and I, I'm sure y'all are like this, both of you, you know, like sometimes you'll tell me you saw that I worked with so and so, so and so somewhere. I don't more remember that than nothing. Yeah, but but in some matches you remember like it was two days ago, you know. Uh huh. It's funny. It's funny. And, and there, there were so many guys that could work. I mean, you know, Cisco Grimaldo. There's another one. There you go. Yep. You know. Yep. Uh, Al Velasco. You know. Yes, sir. Guys that I've worked with, I don't know how many times in Georgia when I first come up here, you know, it's just worked with Joe Turco. Mm-hmm. Did, 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 Joe Turco wound up living in Manchester, Georgia. You know that, Bobby? Well, so, somebody told me that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I did. So how did he, he wind up there? Did he marry somebody from down there? I, you, you know, I don't know. So he 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 came to my gym. I, I think I've told y'all this story. I don't even like talking about it. And he told me, he said, I, I want you to train my son. I said, okay. I said, I'll be glad to do that. And his, I think his son was 18 or 19. Good-looking kid, you know, good-looking. And he, he lived in Manchester. And he would... Whatever days I had, he 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 came down a couple of times a week, and Mike Manchester was only like what thirty five miles from Columbus, probably. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. So he would he would come down, you know, a couple times a week. So he had a he got a I had a bumper stickers, those Jim bumper stickers. He put one on his car, and so this guy that worked for the Coca Cola company, he was like a pre sales guy. He come out of the gym and he said, uh. You, uh, he said, I was coming out of Manchester, and he said, there was a wreck. I said, 
really? He said, yeah, he's a bad wreck. He's talking about a bad wreck. And he said, the reason I stopped by here, he said, there was an Oak Jim bumper sticker on the back of this car. And I said, uh, I remember the car. It was some kind of Chevrolet. He had like a, I, 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 don't, I can't tell you. I don't want to tell you what it was. it was. I said, what color was it? He said, green. I said, well, how how bad was it? He said, well, whoever was driving that car was killed. He was coming to the gym, man. He was playing. Oh, mm. He got killed. God, man, I was sick. I was sick. Uh. I said, you sure about this? He said, I'm telling you. He said, traffic was backed up. I don't remember exactly where the accident took place. And I said, you're sure about this? He said, I'm telling you, man. He said, that's why I stopped by here. He said, I figured you might know who it was. And sure enough, it was Joe's son. And uh, so Mr. Ward and I went up to Manchester to the funeral, and I thought I was going to bust, man. It was awful. Uh-huh. It was awful. That, that, was a, that was a horrible time. That, that, was, that was good. Well, there was another guy that, that wound up in Georgia. It was uh, Oki Shekina. Yep. Yep. In the ring with him many times. And there's another. How in the world did he wind up in Hayhara, Georgia? <laughs> did y'all know about the car in Oki? Uh, don't know. I've not heard. You haven't heard this story. When I called Wiskowski, Bobby, when you gave me his number, he got me talking about that car. When we was in Kansas City, there was a uh, car of a Buick dealership. It was John Cheesy Buick Cadillac. And there was a salesman there. He took care of the boys. I mean, he'd go in there and he, they just took care of you. I mean, they, they took care of you. I bought a Electra 225 Buick from him. Uh, my brother bought a Corvette from him. He bought a Buick from them. I mean, all the boys bought cars there. They said, take care of them. You can take them back and you can drive them six months and take them back and trade them. they get you out of it and put you in another one. I mean, it was just one of those deals, you know. One yeah. Oki goes up and gets a Cadillac. So, Wisconsin said, you remember this? I said, yeah, I know where you're going with Somehow or another, the paperwork got screwed up. And so Oki had this big four-wheel Cadillac he's driving, and, you know, it's time for him to leave Kansas City, so he leaves in the Cadillac and paid a penny on it. <laughs> <laughs> he told me where it was when they come and repossessed it. <laughs> he's been with for years, I'm telling you. This guy can remember he brought that up. That was that was in seventy what four seventy four and seventy five we were out there, so that's when that happened. And it must have been seventy nine eighty when they come and got the car. I don't know. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but That was, that was 
fun times out there. Was you ever around Bobby Jaggers? I was. <laughs> what was you yeah, around Jaggers? He, he was, was here for a while. Well, he was out in Kansas City. And, uh, he's there, I don't know how long, he wasn't there the whole time we were there, but he was there. He told me that him and Ray Stevens had a cattle farm out there in Kansas. I said, what? You and Ray Stevens got a cattle farm out in Kansas. He would tell stuff like that, and there was no, he probably never even met Ray Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, 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 y'all been around guys like that. I mean, he come up with some of the wildest stuff you ever heard. They said when he went to Japan, you can get draws when you're over there, you know. You tell them, tell them you need a couple hundred bucks or whatever. Of course, it comes out of what you're going to make. Right. They said when he left there, they come to, they always come to you. The money man would come pay you the night, your last night. Well, they went around and paid everybody with Jagger. He didn't have a dime coming. Jeez. God. Mm. Yeah, you know, when you're going to tell us, I told somebody this the other day, when you're going to lie about something, you got to tell it to somebody that at least has some some clue of not possibly believing it. You can't well, tell somebody you something that knows better. Wouldn't you think? <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, Jaggers was, uh, Jaggers, Jaggers left home. He was living, was he living in Oklahoma, I think? And he left. He was coming to the reunion in Mobile three, four, five years ago, and he left home and got sick and had to turn around and go back home and died two days later. What happened to Bobby? Don't know. They just said he got sick on the road and he turned around and went home. I think he was living in Kansas, Bobby. Was it Kansas? I know Kansas, I'm Oklahoma. That's where it was. Yeah, maybe he was living on the cattle farm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he got hoof and mouth. Did you ever hear what happened to Doug, Doug Summers? Buddy? Or Mike? Either one of you? I he never had, have heard he, what, what. He had had a, he was having, he had had all, some health issues. I'm not sure what they were, but he, but he had, I think he had a little bit of touch of dementia. He was starting to kind of lose it a little bit. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly what the cause of death was. I mean, I'm not saying this to be funny. He looked good as far as, you know, when I, I mean, in the, if anybody can look good in the casket. I mean, he didn't, he looked like himself. He didn't look like, he wasn't drawn up or lost a lot of weight or anything. No, don't. I heard an interesting story about that. I'll share this with you. This is kind of a, you know, you know, Doug was, uh, Doug, I first met Doug in 1974. Doug was, or 75. He was a, you know, he, he was a, me and him always got along. I never had a had a had a beef with him about anything, and uh, so so I you know as far as I was concerned he was all right. You know if I'd see him six months or eight months apart he was always the same. Every time I seen him he was the same. And uh, he uh, the funeral director we were standing in the cemetery out there to, 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 after the service was over, and the funeral director came up to me and he said. Uh, he says, I appreciate your remarks about Doug today. He said, and I agree with you, he was a nice guy. He said, I'm going to tell you I'm gonna tell you something about him that you probably don't know. And I said, all right. He had a daughter that got killed, and I'm not sure how she got killed. 
Not even sure how old she was, but he's buried next to her. And the funeral director said, when this girl passed away, he said, I had to go over to the medical examiner's office in Cobb County and pick her up. And he said, Doug asked me if I, if he could ride with me. And he said, of course, being a grieving father, I didn't want to tell him no. So I said, sure, you can go with me. He said, but here's what we're going to do. This is what we have to do, sign the papers. He said, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. But they went over and picked up this da- his daughter's body and put it in the back of the hearse. And he said what he did, Doug crawled in the hearse, in the back of the hearse. And he said he rode back to the funeral home in the back of the hearse with the body of his, with his daughter. And the funeral director said that spoke volumes to me about what kind of man and what kind of dad he was. You know, I never heard that, that he had a daughter that died. I, I didn't either. I did not know that. I met his son. He has a son that's in the Marine Corps. Jerry, if this guy was to walk up to you on the beach tomorrow, you would swear it was Doug Summers. Really? He looks like he spit him out of his mouth. Did you ever meet Doug before he dyed his hair blonde? No. First time I met him, he had not bleached it blonde yet. And this, this kid... Other than he has a Marine Corps haircut, looks just like him. Same height, same body style, the whole bit. Hmm. That's another one that I always wondered why, how he ended up in Georgia. He was from Minnesota. Right. Of course, I don't believe I don't blame anybody for not wanting to live in Minnesota. <laughs> For all that cold weather. You were talking about Greg Peterson earlier. Did you ever work with Dick Dunn? That's another one that you to look at him you'd never know. You know. No he, he could work a lick, but he was he was like silk. No, uh I mean uh Dick Dunn was always a nice man. To me, he was. Yep. My first night in the Mobile Territory, that's who I worked with at Dothan in the Farm Center. Charlie totally Platt just put some some pictures up on uh, on Facebook. Um, you know, Dick was from Nashville originally, but he settled in the mid-'60s in a little town out in uh Geneva County, Alabama, called Lowry, Alabama. And uh, he was a peanut farmer there. And uh, he ran for sheriff of Geneva County and ran for some other political offices and never never got elected to anything. But they, uh, they've they actually named a street for him in Lowry, Dick Dunn Way. And uh, Charlie put a picture up on Facebook of that. And uh, Dick's, Dick's grave there in, in Lowry. And I, I made the remark that it was nice that, that his adopted hometown thought enough of him to, to name a street after him like that. Because I'm, I'm in the in the late '60s and early '70s uh, around that Wiregrass area, Dothan and all that area, you couldn't. And Dynamite Dick Dunn was the man. <laughs> he was the man. And I think Mo, that Mobile Territory is the only place he ever worked babyface. He worked heel everywhere else. But he was over 
like a fat rat there. The guy that headed security at the uh, at, uh, at Dothan at the Farm Center, his name was Jack Adkinson. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack used to come to the reunion, and you know, back when Dick was still alive, Jack would come to the reunion, and he told the story down there one night about he, you know, we, I mean, like you say, with those long arms and long legs, and they said that uh, Jack said he was out on patrol one night, and he said he happened to see Dick's Cadillac uh, backed up in an alley behind this apartment building where there was a a known young lady that frequented the matches. And Jack said he went over to the payphone and called this girl's number and said, Hey, don't know if you got anybody there or not, but they need to get out of there. They're fixing to raid your place. Said somebody got a tip that you had some drugs up there, and they fixed to come push the door in and see what's going on. So if you got anybody there, they need to get out of there quick. And Jack said he got out of the payphone and got back in his car, and he said about 30 seconds later, he said the window went up. Here comes Dick out on the fire escape. Didn't have a stitch of clothes on. Had everything he owned wrapped up in his arms. Coming down the fire escape, heading toward his car. <laughs> Don Fargo used to call him old buggy whip arms. <laughs> Don Carson called him a pot belly peanut farmer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure did. <laughs> 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 oh, those two had quite a history together, working with each other and against each other. For mm. well, I, I, Carson told a story one time about he and he and Dick Dunn were they were when they were working for uh, Goulas in Nashville. They were going up one of those winding mountains and it, it snowed or something, and they lost control of the car and. Uh, Somehow another dick got thrown out of the car. <laughs> it's kind of like what Bobby was talking about, uh, Armand Hussein looking for the midget. Um, Carson was looking around trying to find Dick, and he was laying over in the ditch. <laughs> but he wasn't hurt or anything. But the uh, funniest story I ever heard about that is, is the one Bowman told about uh, when, when Dick, they were working in Nashville, and Dick was under a mask as the Red Raider, and there was this lady at TV, Nashville TV, that, it was always giving him a hard time, and so uh, she one night she hit Dick with the purse, or one during one of the TV tapings, and uh, got a big, you know, big reaction from the crowd. And so the next week, uh, Roy Welch happened to not be at TV that day, but the next week he he'd heard about it, so he approached him and said, "I want you guys to do that again. This time, let him let the lady hit hit Don." So they went through and did that the whole deal, and, and Don rolled out a ring, and he's mouthing off at the woman, and, and uh, she hit him with the purse and knocked him out. What they didn't know was Roy Welch had gone to the lady beforehand and, and put a brick in her purse. Put a brick in her pocketbook, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Another guy the things we did for entertainment. No, I'm telling you. Another guy that, of course, he worked on top down there in Mobile a lot, but up here he he was never on top uh, other than maybe just a shot here or there was uh, was my buddy Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, Rocket was... Learned... He was he was big time for 
in fact, you talking about people being scared. I, I actually, I wrestled Rocket in 1979. After being a kid growing up watching him, and he worked both heel and babyface, but he was, he was always, you know, his big thing was it was a, a thumb in a guy in the throat. And I was I was terrified looking across the ring and seeing Rocket Monroe across there. And of course, like like Jody Hamilton said about it, his working punches were like <laughs> like getting yeah, hit. Jody told him one night that I've had easier street fights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but what a, what a whale of a guy he was! He was so he funny. Was I never was around Flash much, but. Uh, I just I can't imagine two more different people having spent as much time as they did together. They they didn't get along real well. They didn't. There was Rocket was all. I mean, well, they did. I mean, they were. You know, they it was a working relationship. But there was times, man, that Rocket looked for ways to mess him up. Uh, I don't think he wanted to kill him. He just wanted to, you know, mess with him. Um. I worked with them. You know, they lived in Macon at one time. Yep. And they were teamed yep. up here. And I, I worked with them a lot. And Flash was different to work with. He was he was different. I think funny story Rocket ever told about what he did to Flash was uh, Flash was when they were in Mobile. Flash got him a little side business. They had him a little push carter bicycle cart or something selling ice cream or snacks or some something down on Pensacola Beach. And Rocket just happened to know a guy that was was with the health department of Scavia County. So he put uh he told the guy, he said, I want you to to you know, find him or anything like that. I just want you to scare him. He said, I want you to uh roll up to him and flash your badge at him. <laughs> Rocky said he asked the guy about it later after he did it, and he said, "He said I never got a chance to talk to him when I rolled up and showed him my badge. The next thing I know, he's pedaling that bicycle down the beach, trying to get away from me." <laughs> they, uh, when they lived at, at Caesar's Palace Apartments there in, in Hateville, Flash had left one morning. I was, I was probably I was a kid. I was probably fourteen, maybe. And uh, I spent more time with Rocket that summer than I did at home. And, and uh, he was uh, Flash had went down and found this mechanic, and he come up there. It was just probably ten, eleven o'clock in the morning, and he's just bragging about how great this mechanic is, and about how good his car is running. And, hey, you know, hey, bub, we're gonna take my car tonight, and blah 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 blah. So Rocket let him get in the house, and Rocket went out there and took a potato and a little old hammer, and he nailed that potato up in the exhaust pipe of Flash's car. So, of course, when he went out there and started the car, it couldn't breathe, so it couldn't run. And uh, they wound up taking Rocket's car. I don't remember where they were going, but uh, that almost came to blows when he found out he had poked that potato up his tailpipe there. Go ahead, Bobby. Well, I was going to say, it was another time. I think it was Ramey that was managing them. This was in Mobile. Yeah, Mobile, yeah. And he said that, he said every day, 
He said his wife, Doris, would fix him a little snack to eat on the road. He was probably on one of his, he was always on some kind of diet. And uh, he said it didn't matter what he had. He said Flash and Ramey would eat it. He said so we just decided he's going to get even with them. And he uh, he went and bought him a pack of uh, chocolate cookies and one of those extra large boxes of X-Lax. And he melted that X-Lax down and poured it all over them cookies. And he said they, they left that day going to wherever they was going. And for whatever reason, Ramey didn't ride with them. He, he called at the last minute and said, I'll meet y'all there or whatever. He said Flash ate every one of them cookies. He said he had made it where they'd both get them, but he said he wound up Flash ate every one of them. And he said it. He said it was awful. He said when they got into the dressing room that night, he said McGuire even came up to him and said, "I don't know what you've done to him, but I think you killed him this time." <laughs> and he, Rocket said that they used to wear, they used to wear, they had green, yellow, white, and black outfits. And that particular night, the only thing Rocket packed was yellow. And he said he'd do it because he, you know, Flash toted everything. He said, so they, he made Flash wear yellow, and he said when the bell rang, he said he ran out where he got out of the dressing room first, and when he got to the ring, he jumped the top rope. And he said he knew if he did it, Flash was going to do it because he wasn't going to be showed up. He said Flash jumped the top rope, and he said he looked like one of them Olympic athletes when his feet hit the mat. He said it was a perfect 10. He said because his feet didn't move. And he, said, he looked at Rock, and he said, hey, bub, he said, I think we got a problem. Rocket said he walked around behind him and said there was a brown ring about six inches in the back of them trunks where he done crapped on himself when he jumped that top rope. Yeah, but they—he, I mean, he did. They did stuff like that all the time. You know, Flash had a uh, connection to somebody we were talking about earlier tonight with Jack Pfeffer. You know. Flash's real name was was Gino Sanazaro, and his dad was Tony Sanazaro or Tony Santos that ran the New England promotion and worked so much with uh, with Pfeffer. And uh, there was uh, a guy that worked up there when uh, Flash broke in. They broke in uh, under Flash's dad, and there was a guy up there by the name of Bull Montana, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't either one of the famous Bull Montanas, or the one that became the actor in the 30s in Hollywood, or the one that was such a big star in the Northeast in the uh, 50s and 60s. This was a young guy, but they caught his his net ring name was Bull Montana. Well, Pfeffer put them together, and they were uh, at first they started out as the Furpo brothers, uh, Zanzibar and. Louis Furpo, and then uh, Pfeffer got a hold of them and changed their name to the Fabulous Zangaroos. <laughs> he didn't quit, did he? <laughs> <laughs> huh. But then uh, um, Flash you know, went down to uh, to Tampa. Uh, Pfeffer got him booked down there, but uh, but Tony didn't want him working in the business for anybody but him. So he called Eddie Graham and, and told Eddie Graham don't use him, or Luttrell or whoever was was running Tampa at the time. 
but uh, he managed to get booked up in in Mobile, and they uh, they brought him into Mobile, but he never wrestled there. He was a referee, and they called him Gene Fuller as a rib on, on Buddy Fuller. And then he wound up in, in Tennessee as Gene Dundee, and then he came back to Mobile in 68, and that's when they put him with Rocket, and he became Flash Monroe. And they were together, Lord, I guess, four or five years, in and out between Georgia, Florida, and, and Mobile. And then Flash ended up uh, before he moved. Where was it he was living when he died, Bobby? He was living with his one of his sons. Was it in Florida, Tampa? Oh, somewhere I'm not. It's, it's somewhere there. Well, you know, after, you know, one year they said he died, and everybody thought you know it was in mourning. Then the next year he showed back up. Yeah. And then died the next year. And then died. The but next he was. Year. Uh, once he got out, of, he ended up in Pensacola selling mobile homes for a while. And then I think well, he, he came sold to Atlanta insurance. one time with a photographer deal. Oh, really? Yeah, he came to the office, and uh, of course I knew who he was. And you know, he came in there, and he he the deal was he said that uh, uh, he wanted to set up on Friday night, and he of course he wanted Tommy Rich. But he set up on he set up on Friday night and he let the fans come in. You could have your picture made professionally with Tommy Rich. They had a backdrop and a a guy with a prefer I mean a big camera and all this stuff. And uh, you come in there and I. But the deal was it cost you about twenty bucks or fifteen or whatever it was because Tommy had to get a cut, the office had to get a cut, and then they had to make something. So you had they it was not cheap and. Uh, I don't think it did real well. The deal, the original deal was he was going to do it for a whole month, every Friday for a month, and I don't think he did it over one or two weeks, and it just, it just never panned out. It was, it was, it was too expensive to do it that way. And he and then uh, he ended up selling insurance there in Pensacola, and he he got Rip Tyler into that business, and then. He worked for Rip whenever Rip and, and Ito were running the WOW out of. Uh, Pensacola in 87, I guess it was. Um, Flash did the, uh, he did the commentary. He and Burt Prentice. <laughs> you can imagine that combination. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to have to bow. All right. Yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, but uh, hopefully Jay will be feeling better and be back with us. So everybody that's listening to us, keep uh, keep our partner Jay West in your thoughts and prayers, and and uh, let's get him well and keep him well. Lord, well, I enjoyed this tonight, fellas. Just like old times. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, enjoyed it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll get together next week, and we'll do it one more time. Sounds good. Sounds good. Good night. Have a great week, guys. Good night, everybody. Bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network.
Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.